Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal. And BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. Get the new Track 300A with free shipping for $79.99. Hammer Nail Smoke and Fire for $89.99. And the Columbia Freeze Hybrid for only $64.99. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. And while you're at BowlerX.com, be sure to enter the drawing for your chance to win a $500 shopping spree. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and a proud sponsor of Above180.com. Attention bowlers, would you like to help your stability in your approach and at the foul line? With Stability Strikes Bowling Performance Sock, you can enhance your stability and take the edge off any foot, knee, or back pain you may have while bowling. The extra mohair cushioning in the heel and toe gives you the comfort and support to compete at your maximum potential. So go to StabilityStrikes.com today. Stability in your game is just a pair away. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Thanks for joining us today on the Above180.com podcast. We are in part three of our series, Bowling Ball uh, Drilling for Dummies, Bowling Layouts for Dummies, however you want to put it. Uh, I'm joined by two, uh, not two dummies, though, Joe Serrar and Mo Pinnell here. Uh, we're going to talk again. This this is part three, so I thought we'd get a little more complex, guys. So um, why don't we why don't we begin? That's a matter of opinion, Tim, when it comes about how, how much uh, dummies are, are here on each end of the microphone. But, you know, Mo and I, you know, we, we, we try hard. We, we're, we've always been, uh, say, the type of personality that seeks information and, and answers questions. You know, they, we, we just have an insatiable need to know more because the more we, we learn, the more we realize we have more to learn. Um, la- the last show, we kind of finished off with uh, touching base on, on weight holes. I mentioned a little bit because Mo had d- discussed the drilling angles. Uh, ball surface, how bowlers need to look for that earlier transition. And at the end of that, I, I mentioned, you know, weight hole location, which is gradient line balancing technique, can influence ball motion, basically, as Mo put it, 60% more so than uh, drilling techniques, which occupies about 40% of ball motion. So, Mo, do you want to kind of take over gradient line balancing? Well, let's let's finish up the... Let's finish up the dual angle discussion. Good. We said that in the last show, we said that the drilling angle controls the skid phase. And the pin to PAP distance and the VAL angle control the shake from the end of the skid phase to the pin deck. And that, that's, that's basically true. And let's look at VAL angle first, then we'll do pin to PAP distance. VAL okay. angle will control the sharpness of the breakpoint. Will it be a shorter, harder breakpoint, or will it be a little longer, more continuous breakpoint? If you use a smaller VAL angle, the ball will have a shorter hook phase and a sharper breakpoint after it ends, up, ends the skid phase. If you use a larger VAL angle, the ball will have a longer hook phase which means it enters the second, the, and it reaches the second transition later, but a more continuous motion. So, 
smaller VAIOs give you more of an angular break point and a shorter hook zone, and larger VAL angles give you a more continuous and smoother break point and a longer hook zone. So in other words, it's, it's how quickly or how slowly they respond to friction? That's exactly it. You put it right in the right terminology, Joe. That's good. That's real good, Joe. Okay, and, and we're talking val angles now, which we know yeah. is the angle from your PAP to the pin and then the PAP to the vertical axis line, just for those who are a little unfamiliar with what we're doing. Uh, right. Now, we, we should touch base a little bit on, on the pin distance, and we have to separate that into two categories in that there's two types of cores currently on the market if we discount three-piece cores. Uh, there is the symmetric core shape, where if you divide that core down the center, it's going to be equally sized and shaped from right to left. And then there's asymmetry, which is balls that have the mass bias or the PSA marked from the manufacturer. And these balls can be more dynamic or have, let's say we can have more control over the shape of the hook with asymmetrics than we can with symmetrics. Is that yes, well put? Because you can control the location of the PSA. So uh, during the drilling the, drilling angle phase. Right. Once we get the two angles together, then we go to pin the PAP distances. Okay. On symmetrical balls, which is real easy, you're going to get your maximum track flare, and track flare is friction. Okay? That's every time the ball turns over going down the lane, it's on a fresh surface of the ball. With Symmetrical balls, which were the majority of balls designed years ago, and as we're getting more technologically advanced, we're getting higher and higher percentages of asymmetricals. Your largest track flare occurs with the pin to PAP distance between three and four inches. We call that the large flare zone. That you get the maximum flare designed into the design of the ball. If you go further away from the positive axis point, which is pin to PAP distance is in excess of four inches from four to six and four, and I like to use five and three quarters as my maximum. From four to five and three quarters, you're going to get less flare, but you're going to get more length out of the pattern because the RG of the PAP will be higher. If you choose a pin to PAP distance of less than three inches, and I like to use three quarters of an inch as a minimum, so from three-quarters of an inch to three inches, you're going to get less flare, but the RG of the positive axis point is going to be lower, so the transition is going to be a little earlier, just a hair earlier with less flare. Even though both those balls will transition later because there's less friction, you're going to get a little different shape with the longer pin to PAPs than the shorter ones. And on symmetricals, very honestly, I rarely use a pin to PAP distance less than three inches. You do about the same thing, right, Joey? With symmetricals, well, you're from three to, to six, or I use five and three quarters. For my customer base, yes. During testing, there are times we will drill balls with one and two inch pins, uh, you know, after throwing them initially with our four and five inch pins just to see how they change and roll. But basically, a ball with a one inch pin distance and a ball with a five and three quarter inch pin distance can have the same amount of flare, correct? Yes, but the roll characteristics will be quicker and sooner with the one-inch pin as opposed to the five and three-quarter-inch pin, 
which will have a more tumbling effect, a, a later roll characteristic. Yeah, slightly later. But now when we get into asymmetricals, we get a little tricky here. Yes, and, they do. And, and we're talking in between shows there about blueprint stuff. Is There's a study on Bowling Chat right now called the Track Flare Study, and it's a sticky... It's a sticky thread on the Mo and Friends general discussion uh, forum, and I would suggest everybody interested in learning track flare go to that study because that was done by Blueprint, and I helped coordinate with him on it. I helped direct it a little bit. He did all the work. But that's about, that is the most extensive study on track flare that I've ever seen, and it's a 13-page document, and when you guys print it off, you might as well figure you're going to read it more than once. Well, you know, I'm glad you kind of touched base on that uh, that sticky. Uh, I've always loved asymmetrics drilled with my normal drilling angle of 60 degrees, my normal val angle of 40, but with pin distances of five and a half and six inches, uh, just because I don't lose flare and it, it sends the ball into a, a little bit heavier roll toward the end of the pattern and it seems to be easier to read for my axis rotation, which is near 80 degrees, unfortunately, but it's, it's high. So I have a little bit of that sideways spin on the ball. And those longer pin distances on asymmetrics can really help stabilize the roll and still give me the, the shape and look that I want to see. That's exactly the use of the longer pin, the PADP distances. But everybody used to argue with me, and I've done, you, you, you can notice I've never had an argument in my life, right, Joe? Oh, not, not, not yet, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Now, two decades now, I've been telling people, on asymmetrics, when you get pin distances near six inches, you're going to maintain large flare. And they're going to say, oh, no, 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 no. It's just like a symmetrical ball and a flare's left. Well, this blueprint study on the ball, on ball flare study proved that on asymmetrical balls with five and six inch pin to PAP distances, and we used those R-Max five and three quarters, that ball had just as much flare as it did at three and a three and three eighths, or in some cases even more flare. But we have seen more flare mo on six inch pins forward. than we have on three. Yes, we had more flare in some instances on six inch pins than we had on three and a quarter inch pins. But the ball rolls forward with the longer pin to PAP distance. So with asymmetrical balls you're gonna get full flare potential 80% or more from 3 inches to 6 inches. The only thing difference is the closer you are to 3 inches, the more the ball will go sideways off the spot. The closer you are to 6 inches, the more the ball will roll forward off the spot. Right. So if you have, a, say, a lower track, which means a high axis tilt or a higher axis rotation, longer pin distances on asymmetrics can actually create a, a heavier, more forward roll, more stable roll, and sometimes be much better pin carry than can three and four inch pins on asymmetrics. That's correct. Here's the rule I use on asymmetrics. If you want to cover boards, which means hook it, use pin distances from three to four and a half. If you want to keep your feet and target more in line and keep your target in front of you, Use pin the PAP distances from four and a half to six inches. End of statement. Which right, means, now, well, you does it affect? You're going to use more four and a half to sixes. If you have less rotation until you're going to use more three to four and a halves. 
Uh, does it affect more where the ball flares, say on a, a six-inch asymmetric pin distance compared to a three-inch, where that flaring amount occurs? Does more flare occur in the oil with a six-inch pin or more on the dry, or, or is that contingent on the ball being drilled? It's just contingent on more on the ball being drilled. But you're right. You, get, you keep your feet and target in line, and you keep your target in front of you with longer pin to PAPs on asymmetrics, and you cover boards and go cover and get more change of direction, okay, if you go to uh, three to four and a half pin to PAPs. And that translates into guys with more rotation, like you, at rotation and two. Use four and a half to sixes, like it better, and guys that are that have less rotation until like three to four and a half is better. Walter Ray, I was always three to four and a half. Tommy Jones, Tommy Tommy Baker, PD Weber with a lot of rotation, more four and a half to sixes. Simple as that. Right. And what about a player like a Jason Belmonte when when you have the high rev rate player of five hundred plus? I mean Belmonte is near six fifty. But are they typically better off with longer pins on symmetrics or asymmetrics, or is that somewhat irrelevant? I would say that the more you get to the super rev players, the Jason Belmontes, the two-handers, first of all, they're going to choose more symmetrical balls because they get the smoother transition out of them. And if I were going to draw for Jason Belmonte on an asymmetrical ball, I'd use pin-to-PAP distances between one and a half and two and a half inches. Because on asymmetrics, that reduces flare, and that's what I would use for him. One and a half to two and a half pin to PAPs on asymmetrics for Belmonte. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever seen him use a pin near his PAP. Uh, nope. on, a, on a different note, well, I think we're going to interject this into the show. Uh, I've noticed bowlers like Ascu and Jason, when they have their ball drilled, fingers centered, then you have your, your center line drawn, yet the thumb is offset one and a half to two inches to the right. Uh, I've been told that's done to, let's say, coordinate or use weight hole technologies more so than, because the thumb they don't use to, to throw the ball, but they're positioning that thumb hole in that lower right, right quadrant to, let's say, take the use of a weight hole. Yeah, well, it, it does that, and it also... There are some two-handers that have more of a full roller type roll technique, which is close to the fingers, and then it goes under the palm, like a full roller, like uh, uh, Smallwood. Uh, uh, Smallwood is that way, okay? Right. They offset the thumb a little bit so it doesn't hit, so the ball doesn't track over the thumb hole. But the USBC rule is you can put the thumb hole anywhere you want to, as long as when you put your fingers in the ball, the thumb hole is covered by the palm of your hand. That's what the USBC says. If it's not covered by the palm of the hand, it's considered a balance hole. So you so can you use a thumb hole for a two-handed bowler and a balance hole if the palm covers the, 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 the thumb hole. You would think putting that thumb hole to the right of their center line, their palm would not cover it because most thumbless players, at least that I'm familiar with, after they insert their fingers, they pivot their, let's say, thumb and, and lower palm left of center. I'm not, I wouldn't know for sure, but the rule is that way. I haven't studied it that much on the two-handers. I've done some two-handers. But two-handers really do have an advantage because they don't use the thumb hole, but if it's under the palm, 
they, they're considered they can, they can put a weight all alongside of it too. So they really technically can use two balance holes if they want to. They can use two, which which was up for debate uh, for, for at yeah. least a f number of, I don't know, a couple of years now, whereas, you know, some of the pros felt that that's an unfair advantage being able to utilize two weight holes instead of one. That's right. But the USBC made one description on two-handers. Two-handers, the thumb hole has to be in a position where when you put when you put your fingers in the ball, you can put your thumb in the thumb hole. So you can demonstrate that it is a possible thumb hole if you choose to use it, and it has to be covered by the hand. That's the criteria the USBC came up with. So does that same rule hold true for, say, a right-handed thumb bowler who drills a pinky hole in, in the location where it could be used but doesn't have to be used? No, that's not considered a balance hole. That's a gripping hole. Pinky. Even, even if it's not used? are not considered balance holes. And by the way, extra extra holes up near where the pin is, within three and three-eighths inches of the pin, are detrimental, not positive to ball motion. Right, but uh, say, say the pin's above your middle finger, you know, inch and a half above it, and you drill a pinky hole in, that could be done to change dynamics, and, and you could still have a weight hole near your PAP if you wanted to. You sure could. But it isn't going to change dynamics that much. Mm -hmm. And you have to prove to somebody that your pinky will actually fit in that hole. You can reach it with your pinky, you know what I mean? You just right. can't pick a spot above the ring finger and to the right. No. So, well, but, I, but if you uh, used a, a 31, 30 seconds drill bit, drilled it three and a half inches, and put a grip in it, I mean, you could take out a lot of weight and change the dynamics to your advantage, not necessarily stronger, but you could change the dynamics quite a bit with the, the use of that hole. Yeah, you can change it some. I personally do it all the time as I just change the depth of the balance hole, of the finger hole. I drill a lot of finger holes three and a half, four inches deep. Well, if we want to put a weight hole in a P3 or P4 location, you have to. If you've got a short pin to PAP, if you've got a short pin to CG on a ball you got, yeah, you've got to drill the fingers deep if you want to use a P3 or P4 hole. If you can't find that four and a half inch pin to PAP, I mean pin to CG rather. Right, and and typically, you know, for the last twenty years, I've always requested through our distributors pins minimum of three inches and as much as five inches away. And I mean, they were like gold years ago, hard hard to get. But more and more manufacturers are are seeing the light in that they're starting to manufacture balls with longer pin distances as well as mole rich and lower top weights. So the, the driller isn't as handcuffed in, in drilling techniques. We, we can do pretty much anything we want. That was one of the things that Mo Rich was a uh, precursor of or a great supporter of. Is And the manufacturers, I've, I've been on the manufacturing end of this. They'd say, well, we, we manufacture balls with an average top weight of three ounces and an average pin-out distance of two to three inches. I said, not my balls, you're not. My balls, you're going to average... You're going to give me an average top weight of two to three ounces, and you're going to give me an average pin to CG distance in excess of three inches. And because the easiest balls in the world to drill, and you're a good ball driller, Joe, are low top, long pin bowling balls. You can do absolutely anything with that ball, can't you? Yes, you can. And if you get a ball with a pin out one and a half to two inches and four ounces of top weight, you are handcuffed 
as to how many drilling techniques you can use, aren't you? Well, you are, and uh, without deepening fingers four inches or, or doing a, a PBA trick layout uh, where you, you pin it near the ring finger, as you know, 40 degrees off the valve, and, and the, but then you're handcuffed into positioning that weight hole closer to the pin as well. But you're right, the longer pins, lower top weights are highly sought after, and I would think for tour players as well. Yeah, sometimes the economics of it is sometimes these manufacturers, you wouldn't think so. Sometimes they'll just send the balls out to the truck that the distributors don't want. Sometimes they do that trick, too. I've seen some balls out on the PBA truck that you couldn't drill with, with all the skills in the world. Well, Mo, I think uh, we'll have you start off this segment discussing drill angle to val angle ratios as well as gradient line balancing techniques. Those are the two intricate complexities of it of drilling techniques and balance holes. So the ratio, which is the drilling angle divided by the VAL angle, will give you the shape. That's where we get into shapes on breakpoints. Okay? If you have a high ratio, which is a large drilling angle and a small VAL angle, you're going to get a later, sharper breakpoint. If you have a smaller VAL drilling angle in relation to the VAL angle, you're going to get a more mid-lane forward rolling drilling. So, for example, if I had somebody I wanted to have their two angles add up to 95, 90 degrees, if I did a 70-20 for them, 70 drilling angle, 20 VAL angle, that ball would go way down the lane and sideways on the back. On the other hand, if I did a 20-degree drilling angle, and a 70-degree VAL angle, I get a ball that started up early and rolled forward on the back end of the lane. So In other words, more of a, a hook set reaction with the 20 by 70 compared to the hockey stick shape that a 70 by 20 potentially could make. The 20 by 70 will, will hook early and roll heavy and forward from that point to the pins. So the breakpoint will be the shorter breakpoint. That's extreme, but that will be the shorter breakpoint that Chris Bonds talked about. For most players, the, the smallest ratio I like to use is one-to-one. -one. So if I was going to use a 50-degree drilling angle, I use a 50-degree VAL angle. I get a ball that rolls up in the mid lane and rolls forward from that point. Or I could do 40 by 40, 30 by 30. 60 by 60. 60 by 60 would happen later. 30 by 30 would happen earlier. But you get that mid-lane heavy roll, Chris Barnes, Walter Ray, big point out of that. So even for a bowler, now we talked earlier in, in our segments about bowler specs, even a bowler, say, with match speed to rev rate, but with a 20-degree tilt, which means a lower track, and an 80-degree axis rotation, you prefer not to go below one-to-one -one ratio? I would go below one-to-one -one in that case because he is the extreme case of the high-tilt, high-speed player. I would then, in that case, get a smaller drilling angle than VAL angle. But there aren't that many of those bowlers in the world. And when I travel around and I listen to stuff I do on bowling chat and everything else, there's a high percentage of people that have lower tilts. 
you know, the old five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven degree tilt players. That's more prevalent than the higher than the higher tilt players. Even though there are higher tilt players, but there are far more lower tilt players than higher tilt players. Don't you think? Well, you know, from what I've seen, more established bowlers or bowlers, let's say forty-five and above, age-wise, have lower tilts, and a lot of the younger kids that were talked or influenced to kind of come around the ball and hook it, I, I see more higher tilts in that respect, in, in that group of player. Yeah, I, I go along with that. I go along with that. But there are, if, if, if I consider low tilt anything, any tilt under 12 degrees. There are more people under 12 degrees than there are people over 20 degrees. I, that I would agree with. That's right. So, yes, if you get a player with a lot of tilt and a lot of speed, Oh, yeah, you can use the smaller drilling angle than VAL angle. But everybody right. else, you know, I like that. And the other thing is, will the bowler accept it? You know as well as I do, there's a lot of customers that, even if it's their best roll, they don't want to see the roll they get from the smaller drilling angle and the larger VAL angle. You're correct. It won't give them the, the visual that they like to see, especially when they're playing more of an inside angle. But, you know, if a player with, say, the, the skill caliber of a Jeff Riggles comes in, and says, Joe, I need two balls drilled where I can play right of, say, board eight, between eight and the gutter, and I need these balls to, to roll and kind of stop, I will consider drilling him low drill angle to a higher val angle and, and vary either the type of ball or the surface that he's putting on a ball. Uh, in other words, for a condition-specific shape or motion, low yeah, drill angles, high val angles can definitely work if that player obviously knows how to utilize that layout. Yeah, if he knows how to utilize, utilize that layout and he's open-minded and he's skilled like a Jeff Rickles, absolutely. But you right, and, and he realizes these balls will have more of a specific condition in mind where a typical drilling, say a, a 60 drill angle, 40 val angle, will have more applications because it's a more usable ratio with length and back-end motion. That's correct. That's a more usable, more versatile layout. Yes, but you're talking condition-specific layouts. We can do all the corners of the ball reactions for those. But trying to get your customer to accept something, yet you get into that, unless he's got 20, 25 degrees of tilt, you're not going to get that smaller drilling angle in relation to VAL. I kind of, what I do with those people is I give them the same one. I go like 30-30. And then I use them. A, then I do a strong balance hole to make it even earlier. You know what I mean? Right. And and, and this is where the importance of you know a, a certified ball technician or ball driller, pro shop guy, whatever you want to call them, is important because we need to know what sums and ratios will match up for each individual player. Where you know, as an individual, you only need to know what you like, but a good ball driller needs to know what hundreds, if not thousands, of customers potentially could use to satisfy their their desires when it comes to ball motion that's exactly why we tried and when i used to push and we i still do certification classes because we need more adept certified ball drillers to handle all the customers and be able to identify that customers whose needs deviate from the norm that's the important thing when that guy walks in the door or that lady walks in the door, if her game is different than 
in the median, you have to be able to identify that, and then you have to do the drilling technique that works for them. And identifying them is, is one of the keys. Okay. Now, we haven't touched base yet on weight holes and, and the, the use or non-use of weight holes, when it's good to use weight holes, when it's good not to position one. Uh, we, we do a lot of balls that are drilled what we call weight hole ready, where we will do a specific layout and let the customer use the ball in a practice session, of course, not competition, telling them right. that a weight hole is needed, but we will determine after they've thrown it if we want to position that weight hole in an, a flare increasing location or possibly a flare decreasing location to kind of fine tune the motion or the ball shape that they want. Yeah, okay, I'll go along with that, but I'm going to do I'm going to ask you to do one thing just for me. Yeah. Let's refer to them as balance holes from now on. Because That's too many fine. people think they're done to change the static weights, but no, they're done to change the dynamic balance of the ball. So balance holes, yes. I suggest now if the pro shop is in a bowling center, and we know yours is freestanding, you can take the guy out on the lanes, watch him throw it, and help him with it. But I, yes, I strongly suggest after you get the ball drilled, let the, let the bowler use it a little bit or practice with it a little bit, your accomplished bowlers, and then say, okay, now I need your input so we get this, we get the look we're looking for, we get the balance on where you want it. Yeah, doing it that way is the most efficient way to do it. Let them throw it for a little bit before you put the balance hole in it. Then you're going to have a, have a higher success ratio with your balance. Okay. Now, now that being said, I mean, we, we don't want to really, let's say, give away too many secrets of gradient line balancing techniques, but That's there's correct. different locations weight holes can go. And bowlers who understand dual angle yeah. terminology and gradient line balancing uh, have a good handle on where to position holes, what you know, size to use, what depth to use, and what angle or pitch that a hole may need to be drilled. Uh, when is it best, in general terms, for bowlers to look for, say, a flare decreasing weight or balance hole? Flare decreasing balance holes are used to control ball reaction. And when you do that, you're looking for, you're, you're looking to use them for red dominant players, and wet-dry house conditions. Wet-dry house conditions where when you hit the dry, it jerks too hard, and when you hit the oil, it overskids. That's the basic use of flare-decreasing balance holes. The other one is to use them for people, for especially for senior citizens, that throw it very slow. So it helps control the amount of friction that a ball typically can see and, and basically subdue it somewhat? It helps control the front-to-back motion on the leg, makes it less violent, makes it smoother, helps to smooth out the ball reaction, in my opinion. Okay, and the, when is the best time, then, for an individual to want a flare-increasing weight hole? Which is the vast majority of the time, is the ball's getting too far down the lane before it, before it reacts to the friction, and the ball's then the ball's leaving weak 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 hits in the back row. The so speed speed dominant players, players bowling in too much oil. Yeah, but guys that don't move well enough, guys that are speed dominant, guys that are bowling uh, on oilier patterns. Yeah, speed dominant players definitely. We want to use the flare increasing holes, which are the lower balance holes. 
And now, now, Tim, you've been listening these last few shows quite intently, I'm sure, taking notes. You must have some questions for Mo, even if it's in regarding your game or, or your drilling techniques. But what would you like to ask Mo? Well, I guess just um, a lot of this is very insightful. And so, I, like you said, Joey, I am taking notes here. I guess the one thing that as, as I'm sure, Joe, and Joe, you, you probably had me do this to you numerous times. I'm looking to replace a bowling ball. And I'll say, you know, I really love the way this bowling ball rolled. So what is the closest thing that rolls to it? And I want it to do the exact same thing. Um, and you always kind of chuckle at me when I ask you that. Um, but I guess that's kind of a, from the normal guy's perspective, from the common guy, that's what we kind of are looking for. So I guess I would like to know how can you, um, Mo and even Joe, you can probably answer this a little bit too. What is the best way for someone to come in and say, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking to upgrade my arsenal here's what I want it to do. What do you have that's going to do that? Well, I, I have my thoughts on that, but I, I'd like to hear from the pro here, Mo, and, and get his estimation. Well, people hate change. Boy, people hate change. They want to keep everything the same. That's never been my way of life, but the vast majority of people don't like change. It makes them uncomfortable, makes them insecure. And I would say to that person right away, okay, that is your best all-around ball. Now, if you wanted to see something a little bit different out of it to make it a little bit better, what would you like to see? There's always something you can do. To, if you have the perfect bowling ball, I tell them, let's just let's let's resurface it, let's extract the oil from it, and let's 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 do it. You know what I mean? If they wanted exactly the same thing as they had. But everybody can say, you know, this is the best bowling ball I've ever had. But there are times I'd like to see the ball hit a little harder or read a little or hook a little, respond a little quicker, something like that, and I do a minor modification. That's the way I'd handle it. How do you handle it, Joey? Well, you know, you're right. If someone brings in a ball from, uh, you know, 2003, it's really difficult to find a modern-day product that's going to give them the same reaction. So, you know, I'll typically look at the cover strength of the ball they bring in, the, the general layout, basic layout, the type of cover it is, you know, be it a pearl, hybrid, or solid, and then try and find a comparable product in today's game, and possibly even from the same manufacturer, because manufacturers have covers that respond quickly and some that respond a little slower to friction, and try and tie it in that way. I mean... One of the main advantages we have is, you know, testing all the balls. We, we kind of have a little more insight into what these balls do in difference to one another. And basically we try and coordinate a ball that can, let's say, give them at least the shape of hook they're looking for with similar attributes in regards to traction in oil and responsiveness off friction. You know what's really interesting when you look at it that way, and Joey, you're right. If they bring in a ball that's more than three years old, it's it's probably going to be a weaker cover stock ball. Now, there, there was some strong cores in those days because I had made some, but it's a weaker cover stock ball. So you're, gonna, you're not going to look for the top end, the top of the line ball today or with the modern aggressive level three, level four, level five covers. You're going to go more to a mid-range ball uh, middle price point or even an entry level, the Cyclones or the 
the mid-range symmetricals. If it's an older ball, it's probably going to be in that category. And yeah, we can give him something like that easily, right? Well, exactly. That's the only you know viable way to do it because you know if he brings in a a white excess AMF ball from years back, one of your beauties, and then you know he wants to buy a destroyer. I mean, he's got to understand, you know, the technology is so much stronger. He may see 10 or 15 boards more motion on the lane, whereas, mm -hmm. you know, if I set him up with, a, like you say, an entry-level ball with the right surface, the right layout, it may be closer to that white XS. Yeah, that white XS is a little trickier because it is a pretty strong core. It, it, so a very strong core, a, kind yeah, of a core-dominant ball compared to ball, the balls of today. looking for a core-dominant ball and use a less flaring pin to PAP distance and a larger sum of the angles to help the ball get through the fronts better. That's what you do. We had a customer, uh, his name was, he's passed away now, but Bob Cordell had a half a dozen 800s with that ball and yeah. used it for years and years and years and he, he tried the other colors that came out and never caught the same reaction or motion that the white one gave him. Yeah, the other covers were stronger, the color. But the, the detrimental point to the white one at that point was the amount of titanium oxide in the, in the cover stock uh, made the cover stock a lot less hooking, subjective. Well, guys, I do think you gave me, uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap it there. This is the, uh, the end of our third series, and we're going to do, we've actually uh, been in discussion, we actually talked, and we're actually going to do two more shows we, we can't i'll fit it into four so we had originally built it as four but we're actually going to do five now um so we're going to have two more installments of this but uh, that's going to do it for today's show again very insightful guys and and um i know i was kind of a wallflower here but it was just very insightful to listen and i'm going to be listening to these just like i hope a lot of our listeners are and by all means if you listen to the third installment and have questions shoot them to uh, go to bowlingchat.com there's a, a a thread started there if you want to go there if you're a regular contributor there uh tim at above 180 you can drop me an email joe at above one. Andy, drop uh, drop me an email, drop Joe an email there, and we'll do our best to answer some of the questions for you. Um, we're, we're thinking the last one, we're going to kind of try to make it more listener dominated with questions and such, and kind of everything we've covered. So, does that sound all right to you guys? Sounds great. This will give them a chance to waddle through these these first three segments we did and pound us with the questions, and that that'll make that last show very interesting. Yeah, it sounds very, very good idea, Tim. All right, for Tim Burke, Joe Serrar, good luck and good bowling. <laughs>